Hope you all have had a great summer. Uh, you know, I was saying this on Wednesday night. If you haven't been a part of our uh, Invincible Me Wednesdays, sorry about it. I mean, it's, you could come to our one finale. This Wednesday is our finale of Invincible Me. Um, but there's been a lot of resources that we've produced uh, for the Invincible Me series. Confessions and uh, CDs and instrumentals and you name it. Declarations, t-shirts, uh, tons of different stuff. Um, so you want to grab a hold of those things. Um, because how many of you know that um, it's the Word of God that changes us? Yes. Amen. Oh, maybe you didn't know. Uh, but the word of God will change you. Uh, I mean, one, one word from God will change your life. Not just for a minute, not just for like a couple of minutes, but one word from God has the, has the power. It has enough positive energy in it to be able to change transform, prolong, deliver, set free, whatever it is that you need set free in any area of your life at any time, if we could simply grab hold of the word. He is the word. And the word won the victory of all victories. The word freed us from every bondage and everything that would try to keep us nailed down to this natural world, the blood, Jesus, the word of God did that for you and he did that for me. And so uh, I want to take a little bit of time this morning um, and talk about, uh, I wanted to call my message today, Ain't Never Going Back. Uh, but uh, turn to your neighbor and say that. I'm out, and I ain't never going back. Turn to your other neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm out. Come on, you got to say it like, you know, get a little bit of soul in there. I'm out, and I ain't never going back. That's right. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, because, you know, one of the things, and I say it all the time when I minister, and it's really been a recurring theme in my Christianity, is this concept that um, I think it's, 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 the, it's the saddest event in a Christian's life when they know the Word of God. They've read the Word of God. They've devoted their life to the study. They've devoted their life to living inside of this community of Christians but we would never experience the results of Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? Where we, you know, we do our things, we show up and we give and we read our scriptures and we step out and do things, but in the process of our life, we never experience the, could I be so bold as to say, benefits of living this Christian lifestyle. And that's a little bit what I want to talk about this morning because I believe that um, at the, in the end of this, the Lord actually woke me up this morning at 4 a.m. and gave me the close of my message um, because I believe that, uh, you know, and sometimes I think that it's not a smaller group in here because it is, we, it is still decent, but many of you. Um, but sometimes I think that there is, you know, there are people who, how do I say this politely? There's people who come and they love God, and God bless those people. And then there's the people who are really honest to goodness, interested in manifesting Christ here on this earth. You know, sometimes I think that when it's a smaller group, I think that it's that God, you know, maybe it's that God has his favorites, you know? 
well, no, that's, I'm his favorite. And so, but I think that sometimes God knows the people who are going to respond to something. Right. Um, and those are the people who, I mean, he stirs everyone's hearts, but you know, sometimes I got to think that when you're ready, you're ready, right? And when you want it, you want it. And God honors that. And so we're going to get to something at the end of my message, but I want to lead into it a little bit because um, I believe that God is going to have us to respond in a particular way. And again, I'm not, my intention in this message is not to coerce you in any manner. Um, but if you're feeling coerced, be coerced. Um, because sometimes it's just about doing what you got to do in order to get the results you want to get. Amen? Okay, so uh, the, the, we're going to read this morning in Numbers chapter 13. And I'm not going to take long to minister this morning. Um, but uh, we're going to start here. Numbers chapter 13. And I'll give you a little bit of a backstory of what has happened at this point, uh, come leading up to this moment of where we're going to read. Uh, Israel has spent hundreds of years as slaves in Egypt. Uh, any of you have seen, you know, the Prince of Egypt, the movie, right? You've all seen that. Uh, and you'll know that there was this significant period of time where the Israelites lived as slaves in Egypt. And this moment is kind of a little bit beyond after Moses kind of shows up on the scene and, you know, we know about all the plagues and he does all the things and Israel is finally delivered from the bondage of slavery that they've been under for hundreds of years. And God leads them on this journey, which what I believe only was supposed to take like a 10 or 12 day journey to their promised land. And this is the account of the first time they get to the promised land. Because how many of you know they get to the promised land, uh, but they don't get to go into the promised land at this point, right? Sad moment. I, I, I would say, Lord, let that never be me, that I get to my moment of blessing, and because I'm not ready for it, I don't get to go into it. Could I get an amen from anybody in here? Anybody believing for something that they want to get in on? They don't want to wander around for 40 more years in order to get to, hey, hallelujah, that's not me. Uh, and so that's really where we are right here is we are in this moment in time where the Israelites, uh, they have this first moment where they have their opportunity to go into their promised land. And Moses then, and Moses and Aaron, they choose 12 men in order to go in as spies. It's one man from every tribe or, or every family group that's in Israel one of those men, the leader, let's say, goes in and they are now the spy. They're going to kind of spy out the land to kind of get an idea. You know, when you meet a real estate agent uh, and you kind of go and spy out the house that you potentially want to buy. Yes, didn't anybody ever done that? That's basically what they're doing. They're kind of going in to check out and see, is this, you know, this is going to cost us a little bit of money. So is this the place that we want to live? And so this is where we are right now. And in verse 26, it says this, it says, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them, to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Because how many of there was good fruit, right? Wherever God wants to take you, can I tell you, it's easy to be obedient to God when we know that the fruit that he's bringing into is better than the fruit that we were in. You know, sometimes it's real hard. It's real hard to part with some of those things that God is asking us to part with. But the fruit that he's bringing into is better than the fruit that you've been eating. It's better. It's better. God's always better. His plan is always better. His desire is always for the more. God wants better. 
So it says to them, uh, they showed them the food of the land and they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us and it truly flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit, right? So it's, they're showing them evidence that God is good and he's bringing them into the better. He's bringing them into the more. And it says this, nevertheless, this is that big but. Uh, in the New International Version, it says, but, right? I heard a minister one time said, when you're following God, sometimes you just got to get your butt out of the way, right? Because uh, sometimes we like to add our butts, which is our human thinking, trying to limit God's supernatural ability to bring us into somewhere that we don't belong, but he's doing it just because he promised us he was going to do it. So it says this, nevertheless, the people who dwelt in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. But then Caleb, how many of you are thankful for Caleb? right? I want to say in my life, I want the spirit of Caleb. I want to be able to be the guy who goes against all the negative reports. I want everybody who's saying something is impossible, but through my perspective, God makes all things possible. This is the Caleb perspective that we have this morning. It says this, but then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, Come on, people. Neighbor. neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. I'm, going up. I'm going up. Caleb says this. Let's go up at once and take possession for we are able to overcome. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Your word that makes us overcomers. It makes us more than conquerors. It makes the very thing that man says is impossible. It makes it possible because your word is enough. Amen. And we thank you for that word this morning. Lord, I ask Holy Spirit that you would come and release the anointing for breakthrough this morning. That it would break us through every limitation, every bondage, every mindset that we may have had that would try to keep us stuck living in the wilderness when you've called us to the more. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So now, uh, when I was young, I had a wilderness journey myself. Uh, not quite like the Israelites, um, but I had a wilderness journey. And it actually happened when I think that I was about seven or eight years old. Uh, me and a group of my friends, yes, me and a group of my friends, I used to live in Ridgeway, which is about 15 minutes away from here. And in my friend's backyard was a giant forest. Um, and so we were eight years old, seven or eight, and we decided that it was a good idea uh, maybe we were playing explorers that day, and we thought that it was a good idea to explore a forest. Uh, now, I'm sure that you already know where the story is going to go, um, but let's proceed. Uh, I remember we were having so much fun playing out in the forest. We were walking around. We were exploring. Um, you know, we had forts out there. There was lots of trees. It was amazing. We were having such a good time until the fateful moment when we realized we have no idea where we are, <laughs> and we have no idea how to get home. And I remember this, uh, you know, because my idea up until this point, um, you know, I was raised where I thought adventure was like getting my shoes dirty. You know, I'm thinking, whoo, I'm living now, right? Like my shoes are dirty. Uh, and then I meet these group of guys and we're like out and we're playing. Uh, and I remember going through this period of time. Um, and I think that this was, this moment was the first time that I had experienced, you know, we talk about the five stages of grief, 
right? So this was my first experience in the five stages of grief, and it kind of went like this, you know? Stage one is that you try to convince yourself that nothing is wrong, right? And, and as a seven-year-old boy, it's really easy to stumble through that section because it's, you realize something is very wrong. And then you get to step two, which is anger. Uh, and when you're angry, uh, things feel good when you're angry, uh, and you kind of start to flip out and freak out at your friends a little bit. Uh, step three, which was bargaining, you know, which was always you try to blame other people, you know, we should have just stayed home. This is all your fault, right? Oh God, please have mercy on my soul. I don't want to die out here. Stage four was the depression, and this is where it sets in, and you feel like everything is over, right? I mean, your life is over. There's no hope. You're never going to make it out of here. You know, you start to rip off the birch wood off, and you write, like, your last will and testament. You know, who gets your dinosaurs and your Legos, right? Uh, and then the fifth step, uh, which is acceptance, uh, and this is typically the happiest part, except at this point, I'm accepting the fact that I'm going to die, which leads me right back to anger, and I start the process all over again. Um, and so I realized that from this very silly experience that what the Israelites were going through in the wilderness was very real. Sometimes I think about that, you know, like I think about the moment when Joshua gets up to Jericho uh, and, you know, you're reading about this story and he's hesitating and I can feel myself always as I read these stories, you kind of have this moment where you're like, come on, Joshua, you know, you bum, like figure it out, man, like get it together. And sometimes I think that when we read these stories in the scriptures, um, because we know the end of the story, we can forget what it feels like when you're walking through the story. We forget that what these Israelites, these men, you know, because as I read this, you know, with the, we villainize the 10, you know, the 10 spies who went in with a negative report. But I tell you something, if I went into a land that was full of giants and fortified cities, I too would have come back with the same report. I would have said, we shan't go in there, Okay. <laughs> Um, and I think that sometimes we can forget the fact that these men actually lived real lives and they experienced the same emotions, the same feelings that we experience all the times. But how many of you know that Caleb knew something? He understood something that was very different than what most people understand. And I realized something, that if it was up to Caleb, they wouldn't have gone through that 40-year journey, Right? It wasn't God's plan that they would have wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. God doesn't lead us to our promise to make us go to the wilderness in order to prove a lesson. That's not good, and God is good, and so he would never intend that he would just show us our blessing and then lead us into a wilderness. That's God's intention was that they would have gone in at that point, but what kept them out was their mindset. Caleb had a very different mindset than the other 10 had. And that's what I want to talk about this morning because um, I, 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 I really believe that as we're living in this year, 2018, and you know, we've got all the banners and we've done all the things talking about the blessing, um, I don't want to go to the end of another year and not experience everything that God would have intended me to experience this year. I don't know how many of you feel that way where I don't want to get another prophetic word that doesn't come true. I don't want to have another prayer prayed over me that I don't see manifested in my life. I don't want to read another scripture 
that doesn't change the world that's around me. Can we get real for a moment and just say, I know that all of us experience this, and I believe that what Caleb understood was he understood how to go from the place of the promise to the place of the manifestation. Because when we we read further down the road of these Israelites, we realize that the only person like the original Israel or the original like Egypt guy who got to go into the promised land was Caleb. Everybody else kind of died out in the wilderness and he was the only one who was able to go in because he had the right mindset. You see, God is interested in, yes, changing our worlds, but the way that he changes our worlds is he changes our mindset. It's our mindset that gets me in or it's my mindset that keeps me out. That's why the word says that we're to renew our mind to the word of God. That we're to take every thought captive and bring it into subjection of the word because our thoughts, our minds, what we think about the word, what we believe about God's nature, that's the very thing that either brings me in or keeps me out. And so I want to know then if Caleb understood something that got him into the promise, I want to know what that is. Are you you with me? If there's an option as to whether I get to go in or I get to go or I have to stay out, I want to go in. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going in. I don't know about you. Okay, that's right. Positive confession. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going in too. Right? That's a little better. But I, this, is, this has become my reality is, and I think the state of Christianity in the world is the state where, you know, they use this word that we're like hypocrites. But, you know, I think that really the areas where I myself feel as though like we could be hypocritical is we could talk about the promise and we talk about the blessing and we get all hooped up and excited. You know, I preached a couple of weeks ago and I was like, when you preach, if you're a preacher in the room, you know, there's buzzwords that you can use, right? Like if you want to get a crowd excited, you use words like breakthrough, blessing, the promise, right? I mean, when you use those words, it, it, it elicits a response, but I don't want to just respond. I don't want to just have an emotional response. I want my world to change so that it looks like the blessing. Because it's one thing to hype myself up. And I like to hype myself up. But it's another thing to see my world change. And this is what Caleb understood. Because if God is saying this is our year to go in, I want to go in. I want to be all in. Like you read those t-shirts that everybody's wearing. What all in. Yeah, I want to be all in to Jesus. I want to be all in, but I also want to be all in to the promise. You know, I want to be all in to the blessing. I want to be all in to my health and my body. I want to be all in to good relationships. I want to be all into everything that God would say is mine. I don't want to be half in or a quarter in. We could be all in. And that's what Joshua understood, or Caleb understood. So as we, I want to go through and kind of highlight different things about his perspective that he, and these are, there's five things, so you could write them down if you want to. Um, I would encourage you to. Uh, I said there, it's five steps to leaving the wilderness behind. 
Five steps to leaving the wilderness behind. Five steps to leaving average behind. Five steps to leaving mediocre behind. Five steps to leaving sickness behind and poverty behind. And five steps to leaving impossible behind. And the first step is you have to get the vision. You got to have the vision of where God desires to take you. Proverbs says it like this, that without a vision, people perish. They wander aimlessly, another uh, translation says. We have to know what is it that God is desiring to bring me into. We've been preaching on Wednesday nights. This month has been called Super Abundance. And I had the opportunity to preach this Wednesday night about one of the topics And as I was studying and going through the different things and kind of connecting the dots behind the intensity of increase that God would, biblical increase, that God would desire us to experience, uh, I got to say, it even challenged me how blessed God wants us to be. I mean, if you look at Solomon as though Solomon is our example, we realize that there is literally no end to where God would desire to take us as individuals. But I think that like, even for me, as I was preaching this message on Wednesday night, I realized something that my vision, it was too small. Like God wants to take me all the way over here and my vision is still way back here. Because we can, God could never surpass the degree of the vision. He will never supersede what you believe is possible for your life, right? I mean, that was the most amazing thing that God gave to Adam was God gave Adam the ability to choose. I mean, it was the biggest risk that God took because you could choose to live in poverty, sickness, despair, anxiety, fear, all the days of your life. But you could also choose to live in prosperity, health, abundance, happiness, peace, joy, love. We could choose. But we choose those things. I choose. And so the very first thing that I have to understand is I need to know where is God trying to bring me? Where is he trying to take me? What does God actually want to do in my life? I had, a, I had a great time to meet with some of the, the, the interns, just I think it was last week, uh, and I talked about that, you know, write down the five things that you want God to do in the next year and find a scripture for those things. Why? Because you need to have a vision. I need to know what God wants to do in my life. The second thing is this. Oh, I want to say this actually. The other thing that goes along with vision is we have to be very aware that we don't allow the wilderness or our season of waiting. You know how when the scripture says, you know, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And then there's another translation that says, you know, if you faint not, you know, that in due season you'll reap if you faint not. There's a minister, uh, Keith Moore says it like this, that due season is always way further in the future than you want it to be, right? <laughs> Right, like you're like, God, I need money to pay my rent. You know, now this is my due season, right? And it's like, well, that's not necessarily our due season. Uh, but the, the scripture says that if we faint not, you know, one of the things that waiting would love to do in our lives as believers is it loves to try to steal the vision. You ever notice that? 
that when you start something, man, you have so much passion and tenacity. Like, remember the first time you gave in the offering and somebody told you God's going to give you a hundredfold? I can remember that when I was young. I couldn't empty my bank account fast enough. You guys remember that? Right? You remember that? You remember that? Is this like a mime day? It is, isn't it? You're all being mimes today, right? No. You know, and then as like life goes on, right? Now when the offering comes up, it's like you have to like pull the $5 bill out of my pocket. Like literally the Holy Spirit has to rip it out of my pocket in order for me to, why? Because the wilderness loves to make us feel as though the vision we had isn't going to come true. You see, one of the things that I love about Caleb is the first time that he went up to the, up to the promised land, he had a great vision of what God desired to do. Then after he wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, he still had the right perspective of what God wanted to do in the promised land, and that's what got him to go into it. But can I say, like, today is a day where God is going to reignite the vision and the passion and the desire you had for what he's wanted to do in your life since the very beginning? Those things that we've maybe let go of or we've lost passion for? But what got Caleb in was that he carried, he stewarded the vision for what God wanted to do in his life from the very beginning. The second thing is this. We have to get with people that are like us. You got to get with people that are like you. You know what I realize? The biggest danger in my life is really not the devil. Because, you know, I don't think, you know, I'm very important according to myself. But in the grand scheme of life, there's way better Christians out there that if the devil had to choose someone to bother, I mean, you know, I'm tearing down the walls, you know, but I don't think that I'm the guy who the devil, he's not my biggest threat. You know who my biggest threat is? People in my life who try to tell me that the promise that I believe that God is going to do, that it's not possible. Isn't it so funny, funny in like a bummer kind of a way, that whenever we do something for God, it's like somebody always finds their way into our life to try to make us feel like we're dumb, we shouldn't have done it, it's never gonna happen. Is it, is this, does it happen to anybody here except for me? Why? Because it's the enemy knows that all he has to do is get people into our life who don't think like us, who don't believe like us, who don't talk like us, who don't act like us. Why? Because he knows if he could steal the vision, if he could steal it from us, it just won't happen. And so what do I got to do? I mean, this is why going to church is so important. I don't go to church because it's some gold star by my name. Although if we're getting gold stars, I'm going to have a lot of that. But I don't come to, to church because I need a gold star by my name. I come to church because I realize I got to get around people who are like me, who think like me, who act like me, who are going to encourage me rather than discourage me, who are going to push me forward rather than backwards. I got to get around people who are like me. That's why when you read Joshua and Caleb, they're constantly talked about throughout the scriptures together. Why? Because they were, you know, boyfriends? No, that's not why. I'm, I'm moving on. It was because they understood 
I got to get around someone who thinks like me. I got to get around someone who's going to encourage me. I got to find somebody who's going to sharpen my sword. I got to find somebody who's going to talk the word at me when I don't think it's possible. I got to get around somebody who's going to remind me of that prophetic word that I got. I got to get around people who are going to change what's on the inside of me. I got to get around those people because that's what changes me on the inside. I can't afford to be around people. I got enough stuff I'm dealing with in myself. I can't be around all of your stuff. I can't get around you when you're telling me that my stuff is bigger than my God. I can't do it. I got to protect myself because I realize it's in what's in my mind. What I'm seeing, my vision is the thing that's going to get me in. The third thing is this. I have to ignore the giants. You know, this is one of the most challenging things I find about the story about Israel when they finally make it into the promised land, is that the promised land, we call it the promised land. Um, But at the time that they went in, it wasn't actually like, you know, all happy. And, you know, it wasn't like God, he wasn't like Thor, you know, and just like went in with his magical hammer and smashed the ground and everybody just died. No, when they went into the promised land, there was giants. There was fortified cities. There was battles. There was problems. There was issues. There was difficulties. There was change that had to happen. And if we look at the first time they got to the promised land versus the second time they got to the promised land, what was different? The first time they got to the promised land, their focus was on the giants, The second time they got there, the giants were still there, right? Because we know as we read further through the book of Joshua, we realize that they fought a lot of battles. Really, Joshua's whole life was fighting battles. So we know that the the giants were still there, but do you know you you don't read about them anymore? When we talked about them over here in Numbers, it was all they talked about. When we got over here into Joshua, they were there, but we never talked about them. You getting what I'm laying down? I don't think that it's that our problems are going to magically go away. I don't think that our issues are just going to vanish. I think that the way that we get in and stay in is that we stop talking about it. We stop thinking about it. We stop focusing on it. You ever notice that? I have, this happens to me in the car all the time. You all know about my car problems. Um, I'm the worst driver and I have the worst road rage of every human being combined ever in the history of the world. No, I don't. Yes, I'm a good driver. Man. But you ever notice that when you start to focus on how slow everybody is going, it's like everybody is going slow. But you ever notice that, this happens to me because I rush everywhere. I don't know why I rush everywhere. I think it's like a genetic thing. I'm always in a rush, even if I'm like driving home. Like, what am I speeding home for? I don't know, but I gotta get home now. This jerk gotta get out of the way. I'm like, I'm just going home, right? I don't know. But I'm always in a rush wherever I'm going. But you ever notice that when you're feeling that way, it's like all you notice are all the things that are wrong. 
But you ever have it in the car where like, this happens to me sometimes, very, it's happening more and more, thank God, is that I'll get into traffic and I kind of like resolve that I'm in traffic and this is just what it is. And then it's like, I don't even notice that I'm in stop traffic for like two hours. You ever have that before? Maybe not. You can get there, people. I'm going to have a seminar after service today, and we're going to talk about dealing with road rage. Okay? That's right. But you know what I noticed, though, from that very simple, funny example is a lot of the times the reason that our problems in our life seem so big is because we think about them so much. Right? Isn't that true? Like, whenever somebody asks us how we are, you know, I challenge you. The next time somebody asks you how you are, don't tell them how you actually are. <laughs> tell them how you want to be. Amen. Right? Because isn't that like we're just looking for somebody to... But what, what, got, what got Caleb in? When everybody else was talking about their problems... Caleb was talking about the solution. Are you going to be problem-minded or are we going to be solution-minded? The problem is the same. The 10 had the same problem as the two. But the 10 were focused on the problem. The two were focused on the solution. The fourth thing is this. We have to say what God says and do what God does. You know, the more that I walk this road with the Lord, the more that I realize, you know, I wish I would have got this when I was like 21, but now that I'm 33, I, we're getting there, right? God's way, this is going to come as a shock to you. Hold on to your seats. God's way is actually better than your way. I know it's crazy. I've realized that the more that I think like God, act like God, talk like God, the better that my life is. You know, when I get into a situation when I have the opportunity to either be happy or sad, it actually feels better to choose to be happy. You ever notice that? That if you get into a situation and you choose to be sad, the situation doesn't change. Isn't that right? Like your sadness, here's another revelation, your sadness could never lead you to happiness. <laughs> I don't care how big the pity party is. I mean, you could invite all your friends to your pity party. That pity party is never going to turn into a happy party. But if I choose to be happy, come on now, my dad does this, like he's funny. He like gets the music thing going. So we'll be driving or something will be happening and he can feel like the tension, you know? And so he'll put on some like ridiculously, like it, it bothers you how happy the song is. You're like, God, for goodness sakes, turn the music off, right? But I can't help it. I can't help but be happy. And it's not long for that happiness 
to begin to change the atmosphere. It's not long before the tension turns into joy. Why? Because there was some intense anointing. The power of God was resident on Pharrell Williams' happy song. <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't know. No, what happens is we can actually change. I can actually change the world that's around me. I can actually affect the things that I think about. I can actually turn my sadness, my anger, my poverty, my sickness into what God has to say about those things. But why? What do I have to do? Simply say what God says, do what God does. And the fifth thing is this. I'm done here. This is actually what the Lord woke me up this morning with at 4 a.m. I hit the Holy Spirit snooze alarm and woke up again at 5.30, so... We're good to go. <laughs> that was like the, you know, when you like wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, shh, could you, shh, could you. <laughs> right? You're like praying tongue for like all of eight seconds and then you're like back asleep. And then you wake up and you tell everybody, oh God, you woke me up this morning at 4 a.m. I had this amazing experience with the Lord at 4. It was wild. I was having these visions. Yeah, the visions were dreams because you fell back asleep, right? <clears throat> All right, there's a little uh, snippet into my relationship with the Lord for you. No, just kidding. So this is the last thing. And this is what I wanted to focus on because I feel like there's something here. Um, The fifth thing is this. You've got to make it public. You have to make it public. When I read about, you know, the book of Joshua as I'm going through, it says that um, Joshua, he went and he circumcised the men again. No, that's not what we're going to do, right? <laughs> God didn't wake him at 4 a.m. too. But there was something about making it public. There was something about, you know, I think this is why, and this has been my revelation, you know, whenever we do an altar call or something, I use this line that, you know, we raise our hands because there's something that happens internally when we step out externally, you ever notice that? There's something that happens. You, you ever have my sister Jess does this all the time where she'll just say, just laugh, you know, and she'll do that every once in a while. And you'll be like, ha, 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 ha. And it's not long before you ha, ha, ha yourself to actual laughter. There's something, when we do something externally, it causes a change to happen internally. Why? Because I believe that we have to align ourselves with the word, right? God made us a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. And so my spirit and my soul can be aligned up to the word, but if my body doesn't align itself to what the word says, nothing is going to change. So it said this, Joshua, when he crossed, uh, went across the, the Jordan River, he circumcised the male Israelites again. And I believe that what he was doing was he was saying it was a public statement. It was a public demonstration that they are just not going back. It was a physical reminder to them. It was something that they were saying to themselves and to everybody else that was around them that I know that we've spent a lot of time living in this place. And I know that we aren't necessarily into the new place, but I want to let everybody who's around me know that I am never going back. I'm never going back. 
I'm never going back to my shame. I'm never going back to my poverty. I'm never going back to my broken relationship. I'm never going back to my broken body. I'm just never going back. I think there's something that happens internally. There's something, I mean, even Jesus, I think about this. There was nothing sacred about when he was baptized. It wasn't water that was blessed by the Pope, right? It wasn't. It wasn't. It was just regular, like lots of people. Mike was baptized there, and he's Mike, and my parents were baptized there, and they're my parents. It wasn't like the water made him Christ. But it was something happened internally, something changed externally when he stepped out and made the declaration, I'm not going back. This is what I felt like the challenge was with the Lord. And we're going to take a second with the Holy Spirit, and I'm done. We have baptism coming up. I think it's next week, right? Is next week the 10th? Next Sunday. Next Sunday. And you see, there's a, a bunch of people here today wearing the all-in shirts, which is our baptism shirt. This was the challenge that I felt from the Lord, is if there's something that you are either coming out of or something you're believing to come out of or something that you're freshly into okay three categories you're believing to come out you are freshly out or you're freshly into something that's new i want to challenge you make it public let the world know let yourself know. Let there be a, a, a reminder, a moment where you are having an outward demonstration of something inward that you believe that God is doing. I don't necessarily think that, you know, and, and I, was, I got baptized when I was 30 again, uh, because I figured Jesus got baptized at 30, so I should baptize at 30. And I was really praying that the clouds would part, and he would say, this is my son, and whom I am well pleased. <laughs> right, but that didn't, that didn't happen. But I tell you something, uh, my life it, since I turned 30 has been significantly different. I was doing the same thing when I was 29, uh, but something changed. Why? I believe something changed because I decided that I'm going to make it public. I'm going to change something on the outside to signify something that I'm believing God has done and is going to continue to do on the inside. I want to challenge you with this. If there is something that you're believing God for, if there is a place that you're believing God to go into, if there's a relationship that you're believing to change, if there's a physical something that's happening in your body, if you've stepped into something new, I'm challenging you to solidify the chapter by getting dunked. I mean, it's, the symbolism is, I'm, I'm done with the old. How many of you feel that way? There's some things in your life, there's things in my life, that I'm gonna get, you know, I wanna be like Tori, getting dunked like 50 times, right? I'm like, wash it off me, Jesus, you know? Because there's, there's ah, I'm, I'm not going.
I'm not going back to my problems. Not going back to my addictions. Not going back to my challenges, my wrong mindsets. Not going back to my limitations. I am not going back. So Holy Spirit, this morning I'm asking that you would make us aware. Something that's so small can signify something that's so big. I'm asking right now, Holy Spirit, that you would make us aware if this is the step that you're asking us to take, that you would position us, equip us, anoint us to step into our promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.